Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. As the world hurts, the body of Christ hurts. We stand in the gap and pray, Lord, extend your hand of mercy. Mercy, 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 Lord. For your word says your mercies are new every morning. This 27th of April, there's so many need a touch from you. Struggling to breathe. Struggling to find a bed in a hospital. But you are there. You can speak for your children. The promise is forever true. Not just for now and tomorrow, for eternity. You will never leave us, nor forsake us. Therefore, we can boldly say, what can man do to me? What can the devil do to me? What can any power of darkness do to me? For you have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I speak words of faith and words of healing and words of strength into everyone's life. That we will stand there firm even if you are struggling to breathe, with that few breath we have, we will praise you. For the word of God says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I believe power will flow. Even the nation runs out of oxygen. The kingdom of God never runs out of oxygen. Even if power dies, there is power outages. There are no power outages in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. So that's why we look up and we know our redemption is near. We know you will work out salvation and healing and deliverance and strength in the lives of your people. So to you we bring them, Lord. And we pray, Lord, one touch. and Everything will change. We believe you are touching people. You believe you are healing people. We believe you are delivering people and setting captives free. For the enemy will not win over us. For Christ takes us in triumph every day, every moment, in every place. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So in between, if you see me, uh, looking at the phone and we're not watching Facebook. I'm just looking at the requests that are coming in. So this morning we are back with Gideon. Though we should be going to Nehemiah, we are back with Gideon because Gideon is too big to be ignored. Not Gideon is too big. The principles we learn from Gideon's life is too big to be ignored. And uh, <clears throat> all of us, at some point of life, or even now, can identify with Gideon. Fearful, desperate, yet has a dream. Yet has a dream. I don't think there is anybody here who doesn't have a dream. Okay? Have a dream. So before we go to the text, continue over there, let me tell you. The unsaved man, the unsaved man, operates on reason. Okay. The unsaved man operates on reason. He may be religious, but he's still unsaved. And if he's unsaved without knowing Christ, he's just religious. The religious man also operates by reason. And with all the reason, 
as we look into the world, things are only getting worse. Okay, things are only getting worse. It's not getting better, it's only getting worse. We are not demeaning reason. Reason is beautiful, it was given by God. But it was never meant to operate alone. Okay? The missing ingredient is faith. True reason does not oppose oppose faith. Like I said, genuine science does not contradict truth. The problem is when people make science as truth. But science is on the way of discovery. It's on the way of discovery. And when science finally discovers, it will always agree with truth. But truth is far ahead of science. Okay, it's far, far ahead of science. So that's what the Bible is talking about. So reason. We are not called to be unreasonable people. Okay, We are called to be very reasonable people. But if reason, like if you look at it, the crisis that we are happening, happened. Okay, what happened? There is reason and there is faith. You will see people of faith always triumph in the midst of a crisis. They always triumph in the midst of a crisis. And there is reason also, let me tell you. Probably everybody sitting here, every, I think everybody in our church has come through COVID. Okay? Now God could have taken us without COVID touching us. Or God could have taken us through COVID. Okay? Or allowed COVID to take us. There are three possibilities. <laughs> okay? And if I look at it, this is one of the good ways to come through it. Because if you look at it, if you check with the doctors, if you have come through COVID, your antibodies are natural antibodies are there in your body. Okay? Like many people who got COVID in the first wave have come through the second wave without being touched. Okay, second wave. The second wave was more virulent. But you will realize those who were hit by COVID and came through are not, are not struggling so much. They're coming through. So you have to always use reason and faith and say, that's what I said. Faith will always say God is good. All the time, God is good. That God never intends evil for his children. That even if I go through COVID, at the end you know what? God's intention. So reason and faith has to go together. Faith is trusting God. And to trust God, you need to believe always fundamental thing. One, he never changes. And he's good all the time. It's all powerful that whether I live or die, it's always gain. With God, you can never lose. It's impossible to lose with God. So whether it is living or death, it is irrelevant. It is always gain. There is no loss with God. Loss is only in this world. Okay, There's no loss with God. So faith is primarily the revelation of what God intends to do for you and me. That's why we need a revelation. If you don't have faith, man will just stumble alone. Even if he's successful, he's just stumbling alone because you know what? At the end, he will be miserable. Okay? At the end, he will be uh, miserable. You look at, you look at uh, the most reasonable man and he went stepped away from faith. That is Solomon. That's the difference between Solomon and David. The difference between Solomon and David was David continued in faith till the end. Solomon began and then shifted to reason. And the missing ingredient was gone. And he did great exploits. But let me ask you this question. Is there one thing that Solomon built that is surviving today? No. Nothing. But imagine the time, the energy, the hours, the, the money, the resources... 
all the stuff that he spent. Stuff is he spent. Okay, nothing. Yet about David, the Bible says, David fulfilled God's purpose in his life. Okay, so keep these things in mind. All the revelation of God, understand when you talk about revelation, all the revelation of God centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Person of Jesus Christ. So the life of faith, if you want to start the life of faith, it begins when you receive Jesus into your life. Without Jesus, there is no life of faith. It only begins when you accept Jesus in your life. You know, when you have faith, your genuine faith, you're always desiring for something that is better. Always for better. Look at the first text, Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. 1 and 2. We'll go like 1, 2, 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there is hope. Faith never hopes for something bad. And then that is not faith. I am believing God to die. Nobody says that. I am believing God to be, to be struck down. I am believing God to lose my job. Does anybody believe for anything like that? No. Faith and there is hope. And that hope is always for something better. Always for some. I'm not talking about faith in your ability and all. People also have that kind of faith. That faith we are not. We are talking about faith in God is always hoping for something better. It begins with hope. Okay. And verse two says, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are not seen were not made of things which are visible. I mean, you look at everything around. You accept it by faith. It didn't come on its own. God created it. And there is an awareness that somebody else is in control. That's what it means. That's what it means. Let me ask you, can you make the sun come up one second late? No. Can you stop the wind? No. You look around and you realize you have no control over anything. You're not even over the virus. No control. Okay. Now we are wearing two masks. Soon we'll go into three. Hmm? We have no control. So what does faith show? Faith tells us that if somebody else is in control, what does words um, uh, two say? By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. So there are a lot of things which uh, faith pleases God. By faith alone, we can get a good testimony. You can have a good testimony before man. But if you want a good testimony before God or with God, you need faith. So faith not only has a hope for better things, faith also believes somebody else is in control. You are not in control. Somebody bigger, higher, greater. And once you acknowledge that fact, there is God and we, he's revealed in Christ Jesus what happens, then faith involves Obedience to that person. This is where the trouble comes. Obedience to that person. Therefore, Hebrews 11 is full of examples of lives of actually very simple men and women. Not highly educated. Most of them were illiterate. 
If they were literate, they were literate in the word of God. In other things, they were illiterate. Like most of the people sitting over here, even Joanne and Amman sitting over here, know more things than they. More things than they do. Like the level of language or math or computers or mobile phones, how to do all Nobody in the book of faith knew that. <laughs> they will computer illiterate. They didn't know half the things which we know. But they were all commended for one thing. They were commended for their faith. Okay? But faith involves obedience. Faith always grabs upon a revealed purpose. You cannot say, I have faith and have no purpose. That means your faith is incomplete. The only faith you have is to believe that I am saved. It's just life insurance policy. When I die, I go to heaven. Faith will have a revealed purpose. Not everything in the future, but something in the future. And what he has revealed is enough. Faith catches hold of it. And faith starts living in anticipation of it. So faith comes. It's generated in Gideon when God comes and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor, go deliver in the strength you have. You will defeat the Midianites as one. Something in the future is birthed in you. That's how it begins. It's not in the present. It is in the future. And faith has to grab hold of it. Okay, so if you, if you actually listen, it's not that God is not speaking. People are struggling because either they don't ask, and if they ask, they don't keep asking, they don't wait, they do not hear, even when he's speaking. Okay, if you hear, God speaks. And once God has spoken to you about your purpose, or the purpose of your child, for a mother it could be the purpose of a child. It's as simple as that. No? Rebecca went and asked the Lord, what is all this movement in my belly? No, no guy not to ask, so she went and asked God. And God said, there are two nations in you. And the younger shall, the elder shall serve the younger. There's a battle going on between the two. And when the first one is born, they tie a red ribbon on his. And the second one is born, it is Jacob. As soon as she is Jacob, who comes a second, she puts him aside. She realizes, my purpose is now, God's purpose for me is tied with this child, not with the other. She cooks for them both. She takes care of them both. But purpose she has understood. What is my purpose? To see this boy grows up knowing God. Scripture says she kept him with him. Same with Hannah. Hannah found purpose. You give me a son, I will set him apart for you all the days of his life. That's enough. Purpose has been different. So a lot of sisters will ask, I don't know my purpose. Of course your purpose is there. If you go, especially if you if you have children, Okay, even barren women, barren women have purpose. God gives them spiritual children. That's the promise before this, so barren children. Right? Your children. This is a sister with whom I pray. And I tell her, you are in this particular place, you are in this campus, and God has put you there to birth so many mentor and intercede for so many other mothers' children who come there to be trained to serve God in India. That's your purpose. Just do that. Intercede, stand there in the gap, and pray for that. Okay. Are these your children? No. It's not your children. But do you have a child? Yes. Did you stand in the gap and pray him through? Yes. What is he today? A pastor. 
You did your purpose. Your purpose is not over. What you did, do it for other mother's children so that they all end up serving God. Okay? So you find purpose. Because if you don't have, if faith will give you a purpose and you hold on to that because faith is what gives a person, you or me, anyone, goal, purpose and destination. A lot of people do not have purpose because they haven't taken hold of that faith. And Gideon took hold. You shall become a mighty man of valor. Okay, what does he do? Go to the gym? No. You realize. How do I become a mighty man of valor? What is the point in becoming a mighty man of valor? What is the purpose behind all this? You realize it is to deliver Israel. God gives him a purpose. Okay, something in the future that will happen. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If you look at this man, why are you living like this? Says God has shown me something. Something in the future. Okay? And that changes his whole, whole life. Okay? And you know, this is the fundamental difference between Israel and other nations. Even USA. See, Israel has a covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham made a covenant with God. So because they had something that was told them to the future, till today they have struck. And they hung on to that promise. It's a revelation connected. So always there was a remnant for f- almost how many thousand years? Yeah. F- you know, after it, they were dispersed, after they were dispersed to the ends of this world, they held on. In 1948, they came back together. They refused. No nation has a promise like that. That's the difference between Israel and U.S. U.S. does not have a promise. The forefathers may have made a covenant with God, but it's not written in scripture. Written in scripture. That's the difference. Even after the canon was closed, that is after the book of Revelation was closed, it took 1600 years before America was born. So they have nothing to stand on except the fact that our forefathers made a covenant with God. But you cannot say God made a covenant with them and they have a promise written in stone that is in scripture to stand on. Yet there is a set of people who refuses to give up. Knowing that our God is a faithful God. So you need to realize you need promises and faith comes from that. Therefore, what does it mean if you look at it? <coughs> Understand this, listen carefully. Therefore, in the life of faith, Time is meaningless. Time is meaningless. Abraham so far ahead when he did not have Isaac. He already saw 500 years ahead of time that his descendants would live in Egypt, be enslaved and would come out. He saw 2,000 years ahead when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw 2,000 years into ahead. And then he saw 4,000 years ahead. He's talking about the city which has foundation, which we know because John the Apostle had a revelation in the island of Patmos. He saw ahead and therefore he lived like an alien in the land of the promise. 
Understand that. When you say you have faith, you should have a revelation connected with faith. Otherwise, you will not have purpose. You will be just a good godly, goody-goody boy and a girl. That's all. You are living a good life, a holy life, a sanctified life, which is good. But that is only one part of, of faith. There is a revelation that comes from faith. And that is that causes us to keep on moving. And that's why the father of faith, he saw and he waited in anticipation. And we need to understand, we too have been shown. We too have been shown. Events that have to happen. And whether we believe it or not, the thing is those events will happen. So we know what is going to happen. It's all written. The question is, if you believe, yeah, if you believe this is going to happen, it will have a response in your present. That is faith. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 and then Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So what is the Bible saying? If you really believe the Bible and you know what is coming, how will you live here? You will live like Abraham lived as pilgrims, sojourners. For what was the land he was walking, living like that? The land of promise. What is the land we are living in? Do you know that? The meek will inherit the earth. The land of promise. It's given to us. It will be given to us for a thousand years if you fulfill that promise. The meek shall inherit the land. I was talking to asking one of the kids from Bhutan. Youth leaders was asking about the millennial reign and all of Jesus Christ. I said, you have to read it in parts. There's a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. We will rule with the saints. And those saints are meek and the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay. And after that thousand years, there's a rebellion at the end. Jesus will crush it. It's all over. A new creation begins, the eighth millennium. At that time, second go, first Corinthians 15 will say, Jesus will hand over the kingdom to the Father. When will he hand over? After he has crushed out all his enemies. That won't happen now. That will happen at the end of the seventh millennium. Everything is finished because Father has handed the, um, the Son to handle rebellion, sin, powers of darkness, everything defeated, everybody judged, everything is settled. Then he will hand it over to the Father. And the Father will rule through the Son by the Spirit. Father will rule. And that's what Revelation 21, he, the kingdom comes. And you see the Father. This is the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, not the millennium reign. This is the eternal reign of the Father. So we have to understand. And we look at all these things and the Bible says, do you really believe? If you believe, this is how you will love. There's a, there's a response here in the present. That is what is happening with, with Gideon. If you believe what I say, then you will have to do something in response. That is the proof that you believe. Otherwise, you don't believe. If you are living in this world like one in the world, doing the things they do, watching the things they watch, eating the things they eat, playing the games they play, you don't actually believe. You don't believe. Okay. So Abraham believed. And scripture says he lived like a sojourner, an alien in the land of the promise. Because like we say in English, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Okay. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 10 to 15. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
That is one thing Jesus has never revealed it to anybody. So if any pastor, anybody on YouTube or television comes and tell you Jesus is coming on such and such time, don't believe. Somebody wrote Jesus Christ is coming in 1984 and he sold four, four million of those books and made a pile of money. He didn't come. We know Jesus did not come. We are all around here. He didn't come. So in 1985, he wrote another book saying, 1984 reasons why Jesus did not come in 85. And there are idiots who will go and buy that book also. Okay. Okay. So he has been told, but he will say it will be absolutely, totally unexpected. So we have to live, live in the light it's going to happen. Expectancy, the unexpected will happen. Unexpected. We have been caught. That India's this thing is chalega. Now this the karma theory works with COVID also. Never prepared for anything. Anything. And you can always sweep it aside. If somebody died, that is his karma. Not that you goofed up and there are no ventilators. People are not dying because of COVID. People are dying because there are no ventilators. There's no oxygen. It's a very simple thing. They can breathe, the lungs will breathe, and they will recover and go. But people are dying because there are no ventilators and there is no oxygen. Okay. Please don't think COVID is killing all the people. No. Stupidity of the government is killing the people. That they were not prepared for this eventuality. And do you know something? You know something? India is one of the largest producers of oxygen in the world. One of the largest, if not the largest producer of oxygen in the world. And do you know something? India is the largest manufacturer of vaccines in the world. This is the vaccine capital of the world. You know what? People are dying. People are dying. Okay. So that is India. And we say Merama Bharat Mahan. Bharat Mahane. Leadership is wonky. So we need to understand the day of the Lord will come as thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass with a great noise. Elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This is the end of this world we are living in. Boom, gone. Then the Bible says, Therefore since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Do you really believe this is going to happen? Do you really believe like I always ask a simple question here. Yeah. Let's say you're a father or a mother and you're out, but your child was at home. The house catches fire. You've got only two minutes to get in and get out. What will you do? You'll get your furniture out or your child out? See, these are, it's only in crisis we really understand what is valuable in life. If you know this earth is destined to be burned up and it can happen anytime because nobody knows when he is coming. If Jesus gave a day, it's like children, you know. As long as there is no date for exams, they don't study. Suddenly exam date, then they are looking for everything. So Jesus never gave a date when he is coming. Never. No, it will be a surprise. It will be a total surprise. Then what happened? And I know it, you can get Okay, the Bible says all the ten virgins he delayed and they went to sleep. But the issue is that five of them went to sleep prepared. God is not saying you will not go to sleep. God is not saying you should not go to sleep. He's saying when you go to sleep, go to sleep prepared. 
That I'm, I'm literally speaking, when you go to sleep tonight, you should say, Lord, if I die in my sleep, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. Okay? That's what, that's what at one level it means. One level at it means, okay? What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, he looked this according to his promise. Look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we are looking forward. So though we say we want justice and this thing, ultimately we know it's not going to happen. But we are looking forward to a world that is coming. It will be a world of righteousness. Are you getting the picture? So if you are looking forward in anticipation by faith to a world, a new world of righteousness, it will show now that you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you are not doing it, there is no teeth in your faith. You got gums of faith without teeth. It's as simple as that. You're totally un- How do you know you are waiting for the day of the Lord? Because you're seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness first. Okay, that's what the Bible is talking. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Peace with God, as far as possible with you, peace with man. <clears throat> Some people you have, you make, you make peace and live with them in peace, in fellowship. Some people you live them in peace and you leave them in peace. Bible is very, very, as far as possible. With God, it's a different thing. With man, it's a different thing. Some people, you cannot live with them peace. So what do you do? You leave them in peace. Don't leave them in pieces. You leave them in peace. Okay? And you have to do it. Why? Because you have to guard your peace. You have to guard your peace. As far as possible, you have to guard your peace. You hold nothing in their heart. If they need help, you are there to help them all out. But you leave them in peace. So that you can guard your peace. Why? Without spot and blameless. Because you're looking forward to something in verse 15. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Meaning, why are Lord, why are you not coming? Because he's long suffering. He doesn't want everybody to be condemned, to judged. So you, I am ready, Lord. You know, I am ready, you know. When you have children, and the age gap between the children is much. And you say, I'm taking out for a movie. The older one understands what the movie is. The smallest one doesn't know. So the older one is ready and waiting, 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 waiting. And pointing at the little one says, you are the one who delays. And we will miss the first half. That little one doesn't even know. Okay, But you have to be patient with him because his diaper has to be changed. He's not ready, and he says he's ready, but his left shoe is on his right, and the right shoe is on the left. But the elder one, he says, I'm ready, ready. God says, hey, wait. The long-suffering of God, I mean, you may be ready, you may be a godly saint, but there are so many butchers in the kingdom of God. Let me get them also ready. Okay, You don't worry, your place is assured. Nobody is taking your seat away. No? And if you think you'll miss the first half of the show, don't worry, I will rewind it for you. The theater is mine. Okay, this is what God is talking. We need to understand that the long suffering of God is our salvation. If God was as impatient of like us, boom, we are gone. You know why we are saved and we are being saved because God is so patient with us. 
That is why long-suffering patience is an important virtue not to enter into heaven, but to reign with Christ. We think this is all got to do with entering into, into heaven. No. That is based on the work. But if you want to come back and inherit earth and rule with Jesus for a thousand years, who are the people you are ruling over? Unsaved people. What do you need? The patience of Christ. Because even in that thousand years among those people who are left and who will multiply, many will be saved. Why? Because of your long suffering. And God says, you want to rule over them? You need to have my long suffering. So understand what these things mean. So why do you work at these things? Because you have a revelation that comes by faith. Otherwise we will not work at these things. We need to have a revelation by faith. And faith is connected with things unseen. We use, like I said, we use faith very powerfully and it is it is good for the temporary unseen, like healing and prosperity and all that is good. But there is an unseen eternity that is coming and that is where most believers get an E or an F. I mean, basically, what is the testimony you hear in any church? I was ill and I was believing I got a, got my healing. Praise God. That is fit. So you saw something in the unseen, you received it. But the problem is that person will anyway fall ill and die one day. I was believing for a job and then I got. Either you will get terminated from that new job or you will retire from that job. These are all temporary. That's what the Bible says. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are the most miserable of people because we were saved for greater things, of eternal things. He's not saying you should not use for faith for temporal. You should. It is good. It builds your faith. But it is much more. Why Gideon is a classic example of who used faith for something that is temporal and fell away at the end. I'm not saying he lost his salvation, but he did not become what he should have been. That is the important part. There are very few people in the Bible who saw that eternal thing and continued that way till the very end. And we can get caught in the temporary nature of faith because we live in this visible, material, physical world. And you can use faith for that. You can use faith for that. But that's not enough. You should use that because it pumps up your faith and faith is supposed to be used for that. So God says, even though we are called to do, live in this life, but we are also asked to occupy till he comes. That is connected with eternity. Okay, so some have one, they don't have two. Some have two, they do not have one. They are only the eternal aspect, but temporary they do nothing. Some have only the temporary, but they are not prepared for the eternity. That's why among the ten, all five are called wise. They are called virgins, but five were foolish. They did not think about the eternal. Okay. They only thought of the temporary, how many times we have gone and bought oil and filled it. They were not. So the day he came, they realized they did not have oil. They did not think about the eternal. And the gates were shut. They were not called, uh, uh, they were they were still virgins. They did not but think about the eternal. So keep this in mind. Okay. So God takes us first. Why are we looking at Gideon? God takes us first. Through the way of salvation. We are saved. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. For not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Doesn't stop there. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For 
good works which he prepared beforehand we should walk in them so first thing is salvation okay first thing is salvation and post salvation only other things come so the first thing gideon has to prove is he has to cut down his father's altar those idols have to be broken then only will hear what he needs to do more things to do okay and that's our struggle gideon is concerned about the situation in israel but god is more concerned about the altars of baal in front of his father's house we may be more concerned about the problems we face but more is god is more concerned about the idols in our heart and until we deal with it usually we go nowhere is there a problem in israel yes gideon get ready go fight to deal with issues in your own home in your own life that has to be dealt with otherwise that will be the stumbling block break that altar of your father to baal and there is an asherah pole also cut it down understand even while faith looks to the future with hope it also acts in the present that's what james was talking about faith without works is dead right so even though you and i are waiting for the second coming of christ we are also called to occupy till he comes occupy what first what is that i have to occupy first i have to occupy my heart i cannot allow my heart to be occupied with god and the world god and baal god and idols and if we do we will be miserable you know that's why sunday's message we think we are so miserable because of the problems we have paul says no you are discontent because of the idols you have he says i know how to be content in all situations he said i learned actually his situation became worse and worse and worse and worse and worse but his level of contentment is going higher and higher and higher and higher okay please understand this is a major thing we we are children of god we live in the kingdom of god we'll hear the word of god but we are still connecting contentment with outside things to be in our control without connecting contentment with the person of jesus christ and we are trying to share our heart with jesus and something else or somebody else and god says no it's simply you 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 want to you can do it but the problem is you will be discontent all your life on the other hand you break all those idols in your heart and allow me alone in your heart suddenly you will start looking at life differently you will realize you know what i am content and then when god keeps on adding you are able to you are able to enjoy life you're able to really enjoy it because you realize you know what it like this is this is stunning words which christians still haven't understood from the book of ephesians if i'm right in chapter 4 he says who he who stole let him not steal anymore okay steal anymore okay i think it's 4 16 yeah look at this is unbelievable 
truth in that. Yeah, unbelievable truth in that. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Look at that. Look at that, okay? Okay, here, children, mothers, let the children, don't let the children distract you, okay? Listen. Okay, look at this. It's the most powerful words to understand purpose. Okay, understand purpose. You know, one of our greatest regrets will be in life when we stand before God that I didn't give. I didn't give. I didn't give. Because we didn't understand why we make money. We don't make money to spend on ourselves. All that I need for me, God will give me. I work, I earn to give it away. Give it away. Let me tell you, I mean, just, you know, as I, there's, there's a situation in the church. Somebody needs help. And a lot of people have been giving little, little, little. Then I was shocked by somebody who gave. Because if you look at the person, he's the last person you would ever expect in the church to give so much. Because he doesn't hold even a good job. Probably among all the people who are working, he's one of the ones who earned the least. Yet when the need came in the church, he's able to give because he didn't spend his money on himself. Are you getting the simple picture? These are fundamental principles you need to ask. What is my life about? You know, Lord, I am not holding my life for myself. I am storing it and I'm going to pour it out for you. And you're not talking in terms of money alone. Time. What is time about? What is energy about? What is resources for? When God has actually told us and put a secret over there, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. And we are running and exhausting our energy and everything into adding things. And we keep on adding and adding and adding and you realize we have very little to give. Very little to give. We have very little time. For prayer. I'm not talking praying for yourself. Primary purpose of prayer is to be an intercessor because God is an intercessor. Praying for others. Now ask yourself, ask ourselves, how much, many, how much time have you spent interceding for others? What a waste of time. Okay? What a waste of time. Think about it. I want to do what God does. God does. I intercede. He forever makes intercession for the saints. How much time do we have? How much resources do we have? How much energy do we have? What are we spending it on? Because God starts showing us things. Starts showing us things. Okay. Like I said, I'm the only one who knows who gave. So I'm not going to tell anyone who gave how much anything. Okay. So let it be only Jesus or the widow. Okay. Sitting over there and he said, you know what? She gave everything. She gave everything. Okay, please remember these things will matter in eternity. Eternity. These things will matter. This is all temporary. So faith will act now in view of that day. Faith is not passive. Faith is not a righteous holy man alone. He also has acts of faith. Look at how the writer of Hebrews powerfully sums it up. Hebrews 11, 32 to 35. And Abu Gideon comes there. 
What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Look at over there. Let me ask of all these people. What do we know about their holy righteous life? Nothing. We don't know much about them. What do we know is that their faith was not passive. In their time, they acted. They acted. Their powerful, mighty deeds of faith. Also of David, Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant. They were not valiant in battle, they became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received the dead race to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So we see Gideon also there. So what it's talking about? He's talking about they heard by faith. That's the beginning. They started working out righteousness, breaking down altars. It didn't stop there. Then it goes to the next step. God asked them to start get into the battle. We know their battle is not our battle. We get into battle with powers of darkness. We get into spiritual warfare. And we are putting call to put to fight the armies of the aliens. The whole world through Hollywood is waiting for the aliens to come. And they're talking about all these UFOs, aliens are coming. When rapture takes place, they will put it on the aliens to come. But we are called to put to flight the army of aliens. Who are these powers of darkness? The demons and devils. They have no business to be on earth. They have no business to touch God's people. They have no, this belongs to your and my father's property. They are usurpers. They are intruders. They are aliens. This was given to Adam and was taken back by Christ Jesus. And God says, what are you doing? No, you can put to flight. One can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand. When you actually come together in unity and you pray, you bind and release, I will do it on earth. And when Jesus appeared, the demons were terrified. Have you come before our time to torment us? They knew they were intruders. They were intruders. They knew they had no right to be here. And the Bible says Jesus triumphed over them through the cross. He made a public spectacle of them, emptying them of all their power and led them in a train in heaven. This is the truth. And God says, occupy till I come. What does occupy mean? When you occupy a place, you are saying to the Lord, I will see your enemies will have no space in this. This is your place. And I will not allow demonic entities to come over here. And it starts with you and moves through your home. You fight this battle. And God has called us to fight. That is, otherwise we are just reading history about Gideon. We are not reading history about Gideon. We are applying it by faith. How do we fight this battle? How do? And what does the devil do? He gets distracted. He knows. He knows the potential of any child of God. What damage that person can do. To the king, his kingdom. So what does he do? He distracts us. Gets us tied down with our problems. Or get fascinated by this. That's what the Bible says. The cares of the world. Or the deceitfulness of riches. Gets us trapped into that. And before we know, he knows. Yeah, you're good. You're holy, righteous, good. Stay that way. But don't trouble me. I won't trouble you. You won't trouble me. Understood that. Understand that. So our in faith, when we walk... Our present 
has meaning only in the light of future. If you do not think Jesus is coming, and when he comes, we'll be judged for everything, you will not occupy till he comes. Like I said, that's the difference between Solomon and David. Solomon got distracted and went away. David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. He occupied till he comes. Okay? So in this process, if we ask for signs, God has no issues. Okay? God has no issues. Okay? Everybody asks for a sign. Lord, he's only saying, Lord, I just want to be sure you are the one calling me. And then after that, even he has to go into, I mean, it's not a small thing. You're fighting these powers of darkness and all these hordes that have come like locusts. Lord, I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting myself. Please give me. The fleeces are all connected with that. When you are actively involved in this battle for the kingdom of God, if you ask God for signs, he has no issues. He has no issues. He has no issues. Turn with me to Genesis 15 verse 8. Exodus 4. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? How shall I know? Or look at NIV if I'm right. 15. <clears throat> how, okay, it's okay. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession? How will I know? Give me a sign. Basically, he's asking, give me a sign. And God says, fine. We'll do it your way. I'll give you a sign. Turn to Exodus 4. Verses 1 onwards. <coughs> and Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. What did God say? Moses answered, yeah. So the Lord said, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. He said, Throw it. Yeah, keep going down. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand. Take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord of God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac has appeared. The God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom and he took out his hand was leprous like snow. What did God say? Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom. It became like we know. We know this. Yeah, go to verse 8. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, then you do one thing. Take water from the river, pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. You know what? God gave him three signs. Because the task is so big. The task is so big. God has no issues. Lord, I understand there's a calling on my life. I'm not talking about full-time ministry or anything. You have a calling on my life. You are calling me into, into, because you need to understand this. You can never say yes to Jesus without saying no to something else. It's impossible. And it's very difficult to say no. Because I'm not saying the no's are per se bad things. Whether you have a calling or not, you should say no to bad things. But that's not the no which you're talking about. And therefore God understands when you say, give me a sign. Okay? Moses says, I am 87 years old. My wife is 77, 78 years old. And we are both old. And you are saying you shall have a child. And the child will inherit. Can you please give me a sign? Okay, he saw the stars. He says, I believe. I believe. Okay? 
I believe. And he says, but still, I believe. But the problem is, when I go tonight, you are gone. Then how do, will you give me a visible, I am human at the end, can you give me a visible material sign that I can believe? God said, okay, we'll make a covenant. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. They did not have paper and pen and notary in those days. People walked between the sacrifice and that was a sign. God said, we'll do your way, I'll give you a sign. Moses said, you are asking me to go against the king of the most greatest empire in the world. After all, that man is after my head. And I have to go there. And how will I go there? God says, no problem, I'll give you. How many? One, two, I'll give you three signs. If one doesn't work, two. Two doesn't work, third. Does God have issues? No. God doesn't have issues. What does Gideon ask? He asks for a sign. For a sign. I'm not saying that God gets mad. Oh no, Lord, it is unbelief, disbelief. No. God, I understand your call. But I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting myself whether I heard right or wrong. That is my call. I'm willing to leave my job. I'm willing to quit and go to a faraway country. All I'm asking is just push, make it sure to me. You are the one who's calling me and sending me. That's all I'm asking. I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting my ears. Did I hear right? Did I hear right? Like I said last time when I went to Assam, when I went to the other country, I said, Lord, I am risking. It's like, if you want to put in normal word, Lord, this is a completely career change. No? There were seven doors open for me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven I disliked. I said, one to six, Lord, you kept on ignoring seven. You know what? Then I said, Lord, Philippians, eh? Revelation 3, Lord, the God who opens doors and shut doors, Lord. Lord, so many doors are open. I am conf- confused. Will you please shut the doors? One, two, three, four, five, six, you shut. <laughs> Only seven was left open. But that was the door to go through. Okay, you can ask. You're not questioning him. You're questioning your own hearing. You just want to be confirmed because you just don't want to go somewhere, leave everything and go somewhere. And when you reach the place, you realize God is not with you. God is not with you. That's the last thing you want, that God is not with you. Yes, you can do things in your flesh and be a success also. Like I said, what is left of Solomon's accomplishments? The only thing left is a book of Proverbs, which God wrote through him. Everything he did, all his monuments are gone. Taj Mahal is still there. The ruins of the Greek gods are still there, which were before Solomon. But what Solomon built is gone, because he was a child of God, who worked in the flesh, all gone. See, Gentiles, when they work in the flesh, that is a natural habit. When children of God work, it is unnatural. So don't expect our work in the flesh to be sustained like theirs. Our God will destroy that first. That's what it means. Judgment begins in the house of God and not in the house of the Gentiles. Okay. So we have to be very careful about it because we don't want to waste our time, waste our energy, waste our resources because unlike them, we have a revelation of the future and a hope connected with the future and a reward connected with the future. Right? Anyone without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who believes God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Reward day hasn't come yet. It's coming for everybody. 
every there's a, there's, a, there's a man of God, and I think it's I believe scientifically <coughs> it is true. He said we are caught in time, so we will never understand eternity. We'll never understand eternity. Eternity is different. Time is different. Eternity is timelessness. Even that we don't understand. He says you will see a surprise in heaven. That when eternity actually begins, let us say when the trumpet blows, everybody who died in Christ will appear before Christ at the same moment. Nobody will be one second early, one second late, yet nobody has missed time. We won't understand it, right? <laughs> if I die in 2022 and Pastor Vijay dies in 2040 and Jesus comes in 2041, all of us appear before him at the same time. That's the difference between time and eternity. So nobody has got their rewards. Nobody has got their rewards. That's where the Bible Hebrews 11 ends. Everybody will be perfected together. How is it possible? Lord, so many people have gone ahead of me. He says, no, nobody has gone ahead of you. But Lord, that's not possible. Adam died 6,000 years ago. Is he with you? Yes. Then how can I come come along with him? He says, that's called eternity. You will not understand it. Eternity. You know? And actually, science proves it. I'll tell you something. We call it light year. What is light year? Is the distance light travels in a year. In one year. Okay. Let's take a planet which is 2000 light years away. And there is somebody there. And he's got this powerful telescope. To see anything you need light. And he's focusing on Bethlehem. What does he see today? He sees Jesus being born. But was Jesus born today? It was born 2,000 years ago. But it is a reality for him now. Because the light reached only him now. Okay. Only now. So we need to, we are going to be surprised. That's what I science, that's what I said. Science is only slowly catching up with truth. When we have some <laughs> foolish people saying that now science has entered the White House. When truth left the White House, science entered. Okay, And the demons also entered. So please understand. Gideon asked for a sign. When you have called, when you want to fulfill God's purpose, when you want to be confirmed, there's nothing wrong in asking for signs. Because from Abraham onwards, Moses onwards, everybody has asked for a sign. So many people have asked for signs. Then there is fear. That's our issue. There is fear. Abraham was afraid. Isaac was afraid. Jacob was afraid. Moses was afraid. Joseph was afraid. Joshua was afraid. Elijah was afraid. Gideon is afraid. You and I are also afraid. If you're not afraid, let there be a knock at the door and this guy in khaki uniform stands over there. Everybody will start panicking. Why has he come? All right. Let me ask you this symbol. Whenever you see a cop very close to you and looks at you, do you feel a sense of confidence? <laughs> Though you may have done nothing, you're always worried, have I done something which I am not aware of, he is aware of. Right? So I told you there is this fear. So none of us will overcome all of our fears in one day. Judges 6.27 None of us will. 627. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants, did as the Lord said to him, but because he feared his father's household, the men of the city too much 
to do it by day. He did it by night. He did it by night. Are you getting the picture? There is fear. But there is obedience. This is the key. Fear did not stop him from obeying God. The problem comes when fear stops us from obeying God. That's when the problem comes. Fear stops us from obeying God. He obeyed in spite of his fear. 28 to 32 is very interesting. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, you think these are Midianites? No, these are Israelites. They are not worried about Yahweh's temple not being there. They are more worried about Baal's altar going. You look in the church, it's the same thing. You touch the world in them, they get very upset. You touch the Christ in them, they are cool. They will always come and ask you, have you paid your taxes? They will never ask you, have you paid your tithes? Don't miss on your tithe. Nobody say, don't miss on your taxes. Because they honor Caesar more than Christ. Why? Caesar will come after you. Christ doesn't. But you don't know Christ will come after you another day. Because we do not live in the light of that revelation of future, we are very cool with Christ. We are worried about Caesar. The apostolic church was different. They were not worried about Caesar. They were more concerned about Christ. That's what happened. The men of the city arose early in the morning and there was the altar of Baal torn down. Meaning they all went to Baal's altar to worship. I mean, how do you expect to be delivered when the Midianites are worshipping Baal and you are also worshipping Baal? What will Baal do? Though his name is Baal, he has no hair because he's pulling it all out. Baal, Baal's a bach gay. He doesn't know whom to answer. But he looks at Israel and says, you know what, I will not answer you. Why? Because I know somewhere down the line you will go back to your God. You know, I will always answer these people. That's why these believers who go try to get the devil and the world to help them ultimately are destroyed. Because the world hates you because deep inside he knows one day you will go back to your God. He doesn't trust you. He doesn't trust you. One of the reasons believers don't prosper is not because God doesn't want to prosper you because you are playing on two altars. You know what? That fellow will not allow you to prosper. And God says, you got two altars, what do I do? Hmm? We need to understand how it works. God will prosper us. When? When all altars are broken. He will prosper us. And he will be content in all situations. And his prosperity is a different level altogether. Even if it is not material, it is spiritual. Please understand, this is how things work. So we have to be ready. They are all over there. Baal's altar torn down. Wooden image that was beside, cut down. Second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. Another altar has been built. Second, Baal's altar gone. Another altar is up. And what happens? So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this. Among those ten people, he went, they, were, they were even more fearful than him. One of them snitched. <laughs> All fearful characters. Which is the problem. Ultimately, it falls on me. Somebody says something, heard a message, and they go home and they do it. Finally, they say, who told you to do it? pastor told me. I never told. I only preached from the pulpit. <laughs> Almost every week I have to tell somebody, is this your conviction or my conviction repeated by you with your lips? My conviction is my conviction. I will stand by it and I will die by it. The problem is you don't have this conviction. 
But you heard, you got emotionally. I remember many, so many examples I can give. You know, one day I was preaching, many, many years ago, I was preaching about, no? those days also I preached, I talked about tight clothes and, okay, now only clothes have only got tighter. Okay, those days also it were tight, now it is getting tighter and tighter. One of the young girls in the church got so this thing, she tore up all her jeans and her tops and everything, went and bought all kind of loose things and all. After three months she was so miserable, she went and bought the old things back. That she blamed me. I said, did I ever tell you to do anything? This has to be your conviction. How can you wear clothes according to my conviction? It will not fit your body. (laughs) Are you getting the picture? You have to, these convictions have to become personal. Lot of people have this thing. They try this. Your pastor told me. But it hasn't gone deep inside. Where you have gone in, meditate upon it, you know. <laughs> people have tried all kind of things from clothes to diet change to sleep change to. They will always ask me, how do you study the Bible? Let's say you study the Bible your way. I will do it my way. <laughs> you are going nowhere if you study the Bible my way. That is my way. You go ask God, how should you study your Bible? Okay. So you have to be very, very careful about these things. This is one fellow among them snitched. Otherwise, how will they know? Gideon, the son of Joash, has. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn out the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside. The other side you need to look at is, the Israelites are this. They want to kill somebody who broke down the altar of Baal and built a new one. And God is still coming to rescue them. Know why God is still merciful? That's why the Bible says we are not consumed. You think we are all Yahweh worshippers? Oh, we got so many altars and idols in our heart. Still his mercies are new every morning. And when we see somebody walking a straight line, sanctified, holy, will not turn to the left, you want to kill him. (laughs) Because he convicts us. Away from my sight, we speak like a king. Away from my sight. We don't want to see those people. We cannot kill like them, so we kill them in our mind. It's like uh, Herodias. Right? Herodias. Because she knows every evening, this King Herod will go and listen to John. And every night when he comes back to the bedroom, he's miserable. She says, you know what? That fellow is making my husband miserable. If he goes on, goes on, like this, you know, one day he will tell me, get out of the palace and go. I cannot live with you anymore because I'm living in sin and this man is convicting me. I need to get his head one day. Okay, We need to understand what is happening over here. These are not being done by Midianites, Amalekites, Philistines. These are done by Israelites. And what are they so zealous about? They're not zealous about Yahweh. They're zealous about Baal. What are we zealous about? What are we zealous about? God is asking questions, pertinent questions. What are we zealous about? Look over there. Verse 31 is interesting. But Josh yeah, said to all who stood, who is Josh? Gideon's father. Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he's a God, let him plead for, plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. You know, in Kerala, we had a CM called Ikenainar. Okay, you can uh, commonly see him. It's interesting about him. There was, I can't remember, there was some situation in Kerala, some temple was robbed or something. So there was a movement saying all temples should be given police security. 
ഇസഡിൻ മലയാളം ഭഗവാൻ എന്തിനാ പാറാവുകാരൻ ഇതിൽ <laughs> these things don't bother much to us because this is a different dimension altogether my god does not have to be defended my hope has to be defended truth can stand its own the whole world can disbelieve still god exists and ultimately all these unbelievers will stand before him and have to give a reason why you didn't believe so please understand sometimes when we do steps of faith steps of faith even fearfully cut down the altar of our father or mother or whatever they will be convicted and they will stand before us for us that's what's happening you know what gideon never expected this that when i cut down the altar it will bring a change of mind in my father's heart we are very scared he was scared of his father scared of the people of the, the, the this thing but god worked it around for his good you know sometimes we have to hear that's why you have to hear what god says and do and we are always afraid oh no if i do that my father will get mad but did you hear from god what god asked you to do and when you do that your father turns around and says yeah it's good i all, i never believed this fellow i wanted to cut it myself but i was more afraid of the people i'm thank god you cut it down god you cut it down okay please understand that some conviction works let bal content if he is a god therefore on that day they called him jerubal this is a pure crowd immediately they changed his name let bal plead against him because he has torn down his altar that's why you would never go with the mob the mob has no conviction no conviction about anything don't walk with the crowd don't walk with the, the world that is a crowd which has no convictions at all verse 33 then all the midianites and the amalekites the people okay let's go to verse 32 before that right yeah 32 yeah he turned on and verse 33 then all the midianites the amalekites the people of east gathered together they crossed over and encamped in the valley of jezreel you need to understand when the, when will the enemy come against you when the altars are broken till then the enemy leaves you alone you'll say oh i am under no spiritual attack you know what you got so many altars of the enemy why should you attack you he is very comfortable he comes has a supper and goes home he feeds at your altar why should he come against you you know when you see men and women of god getting attacked you need to realize they have destroyed altars and the enemy is mad he gathers all his forces and comes all the people of the east i think some from india also went gathered together they crossed over and encamped in the valley of jezreel you know why they did because one man 
cut down the altar of Baal and cut the pole of Ashura. Immediately in the enemy camp in the spiritual realm, messages are going. You know Israel, you know Israel's God. Gather your forces. A man has risen. A man has risen. That's all it takes, one man. To start a movement of God, one man. All it takes is one man. Because they know the ways of our God. And they know, it's like one man of God said, God plus one man is always a majority. God himself is a majority. And when that man gets along with him, it's a majority against all men. And they gathered, everybody gathered. This is fundamental. Immediate response. First Samuel chapter 7 verses 4 to 7. Now the children of Israel put away the See, it's continuing in cycles. Baals and Asurit and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all, all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord here for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord. That's basically a sign of surrender. They fasted that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. Mizpah, where they gathering, they know this is this is not celebration. This is fasting and prayer. This is where they are judging themselves. They are crying out to God. They are destroying the altars in the life. All idols are being destroyed. Immediately the Philistines gathered. They know, you know what, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. As long as we don't turn to our God with our all our heart, the enemy is not bothered. He says, you know what? I can use a compromised Christian better than a Gentile. The Gentile cannot get into the church. The compromised Christian does. That's why God is actually giving Laodicea an ultimatum. Either be or hot or just get out before I kick you out. That's what he's saying. Either be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. I will spew you out. Because you are a threat to the kingdom of God. You are more damaged to the kingdom of God. So you understand the pattern is always the same. Go to Second Samuel chapter 5 and verse 17. 5 and verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. Okay. You need to understand when you break altars, when an anointing comes upon you, the enemy comes after you. He will gather all his forces because that is what he fears. And if the devil is not after you, ask God, Lord, why? Why am I living such a simple, cushy life? He will say it's because you and the devil are headed in the same direction. Macha, macha, arms in hand, you're walking together. You want to get into conflict? Destroy the idols in your heart. Break down the altars of Baal, of this world. Break these things down and suddenly you will start hearing from me. And when the enemy knows somebody starts hearing from me, he will also draw his forces. Before you become a threat to his kingdom, he will try to stop you. He will try to stop you. He will try, like what you say in English, he will try to nip it in the bud. Because that's when you are most fearful. He will try to stop you. And what is God's response? Judges, look at God's response. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. What's God's response? The spirit of the Lord. That's our response. We cannot fight this battle. It's not by might. It's not by power. Remember, might and power will not work against the enemy. His forces are much. The world is much stronger, more powerful, more money, more influence than 
what is the only thing we have which the world cannot we have the spirit of the lord the spirit of the lord has to come upon us i'm not saying the spirit of spirit spirit of the lord is not in us is in us. That's not enough. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes upon you. When he comes upon you, you will be endured with power. And when persecution ran, rose, what did they do? They went back to the Spirit and he endured them with even more power so they could go back and contend with the powers of darkness. This endowment with power is a continuous because the enemy is not going to leave you alone and me alone, none of us alone. The only answer to it is the Spirit of God. This is the answer. The Spirit of the Lord came. Look at Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 19. 59, 19. They shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, they're coming like a flood, like locusts, they have come from here. First only the Midianites were coming. When they realized somebody is rising, they brought all the people from the east. And what does the Bible come? The spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What does it mean? What is a standard? You know what a standard is? It is not a line or something, it's a flag behind which an army matches. Each regiment has their own standard. You know what the Bible is saying? When the enemy comes to you against the flood, you move. But who's marching in front of you holding the flag? It's the Spirit of God. He's moving in front of you. You cannot be defeated. You cannot be defeated. And that's what's happening. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. And what does Gideon do? He blows the trumpet. He blows the trumpet. Let me tell you. When you blow the trumpet, a lot of people will gather. A lot of people will gather. Cricket coaching! Everybody will go. <laughs> For seven days, you will not be allowed to touch the bat. What do you do? Eighth day, half of them have gone. <laughs> fasting and prayer. Whole church will come. Then they will realize, this is actually fasting and prayer. <laughs> they are looking, 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 looking. How to escape? Second time you call fasting and prayer, crowd is half. Okay. Then they realize this is all a change. Next time you call for three days fasting and prayer, one tenth only will come. See, when you blow the trumpet, everybody will come because they think this is a picnic. The kingdom of God on earth is not a picnic. It is battle. Like I said in the old, this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. If you go into a battleship, you will see luxury and comfort is minimum. We get into the battleship and we are asking, where are the pool tables? Where is the swimming pool? Can I gamble here also? The sister, what did you get here for? Go to your bunk. And rations are given over there. Get ready and come to the deck. You have got work for you to do. We think the kingdom of God is a cruise. We are on cruise. I'm sorry, sir. It's a battleship. It's a battleship. When you blow the trumpet, so many will get excited and come. God will whittle them down. Okay? So you need to understand. Like I said, these are steps of faith. We are not studying Gideon. We are studying the steps of Gideon. God will cut down. What is the reason? Because in actual war, you cannot rely on most people. They will compromise. They will be fearful. They will go. Because it's an unseen enemy. 
So God will cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down to 300 people. That is what he meant by the promise, you shall defeat them as one. That one is 300. They are one man. One man. And that's what God does through the church. He is preaching and fasting and praying and whittling down until he's got a set of people who have become one with Christ. Then he says, go fight. Fight. You don't need too many people. You don't need too many people. I don't need too many people. I need people who are one with me. But it begins with Gideon. It begins with you. First, you have to be one whole. A divided mind receives nothing from God. Nothing from God. First, you have to be one. And in the process of becoming one, you ask for fleeces. God is okay. I still understand you, Gideon. You struggle, I understand. But I understand one thing also. You want deliverance. You want to deliver Israel. I understand that. I see in you. That's why I came to you. And in the process, I will make you one and you will bring deliverance to Israel. So we looked at faith comes from hearing. And when you are hearing, the second step is you look into the future, not into the present. You have a revelation connected with the future. And until the future happens, you occupy till he comes. So you have acts of faith. But that alone is not enough. Verse 30, yeah, go, go verse uh, 35, 36. He sent messengers throughout all manners, so all gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Nephtali. They came up to meet him. So Gideon said to God, if you save Israel by my hand as you have said. Okay? Now we are not going in over there. We'll just close in a few minutes and go to prayer. Okay? Because please, we'll look at another day. Maybe today's Tuesday. Yeah, maybe on Thursday. Okay? You know what? We know what happens after that, Gideon will actually go to fight with 300 people. The, the enemy number is 135 lakh, 1.35, 1 lakh, 135,000 lakh. In West doesn't understand lakh. They think we have lakh here. Okay. 135,000 and 300 soldiers. What does it mean? What does it mean in terms of faith? Faith hears. It all begins with hearing, faith hears. Then you have acts of faith where you are fearful yet obedient. That's still not enough. You have to move to the next step which is called daring faith. Daring faith. Okay. Daring faith. And you have to ask yourself, have you come to that level? Every one of them had that. Abraham had daring faith. What is that? He took his son and put him on the altar. We are not talking about him fighting. He fought earlier for his nephew. But he took his son and put him on the altar, bound him and lifted the knife. That is daring faith. God said something, it will come to pass. Isaac had daring faith. What is that? The whole nation is going through famine. Everybody is moving through Egypt. He hears God and refuses to move, stays in the wilderness. It's become a wilderness. It's become a desert. And he plants his last seed over there. You know what? That is daring faith. That is daring faith. Okay. God will put you through that. Do you have daring faith is the question. No? Moses, yes sir. Where are you going? To Egypt. With what? A stick. To stand before whom? The greatest empire in the world. That is called daring faith. Okay. So you have to ask yourself, where am I now? Am I at the stage where I have not heard at all? I am saved but I haven't heard anything. Because faith comes from hearing. From there, do you have 
acts of obedience. Though you are fearful, you are obeying. And as you obey, do you have daring faith? Where you realize, you know, I heard, you know what? I am moving. I am moving. I have nothing to stand behind me except God. Nothing. Nothing. And here will he go with 300 men, with an empty pitcher. No sword, no spear, no javelin, with a torch and a trumpet to fight an army of heavily armed 135,000 soldiers, daring faith. Okay. And then there is a fourth aspect of faith. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Okay. First is, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers, pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek we not this portion. What is it talking about? It's a persevering faith. It's a persisting faith. It's a faith that refuses to give up. This is our danger. This is what happened to Israel. That's what had happened to America. That's what happens to most Christians. You know, once you have got your victory. You stop persisting in faith. You slowly start drifting away. Start different. You don't persist in the thing. So, okay, I have no problems in my life, so why should I fast? Why should I fast? You should have prayed like two hours a day. What's the point? I don't have any issues. I've got a good job. My wife is good. My children are good. I've got a good home. I've got two cards. Everything is going honky dory. Why should I? You're not realizing. This is a battle. This is a battle. Okay, you go to, we live all surrounded by cantonments. There is no war taking place anywhere. No war is going to, you go in the morning, what are they doing? Training. For what? For a war that may never happen. They are kept battle ready until they retire. Until what? For an unseen enemy who may never come. You know, and that's of a persisting fate. And that is the whole thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us aside, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensures us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What is it talking about? How are we supposed to run? With endurance. It's a persisting faith. It's an enduring faith. It's a patient faith. And there's a cloud of witnesses. What does it mean? They're sitting in heaven and looking down at us. There are a lot of people who inter- interpret it that way. And where they, they all go wrong is that when you think all these witnesses are looking down at us, we are making them into God. They cannot see everybody. Then they are all omniscient. Even the devil cannot see everybody. It is not what it means. It means what Hebrews 11, 4 says. Though they are dead, their life speaks to us. Abel is dead, he still speaks. Gideon is dead, but he still speaks. He's not looking down and encouraging us. No, but his life, when did it, Gideon die? But today we are speaking about Gideon because the works of faith, which he God did through him, encourages us. So what it's talking about? Will our life have a faith that Persevere till the end. Okay. It can be either good times or it can be very bad times. 
that is paul's letters he's not from getting from good to better only spiritually on earth he's getting from bad to worse to worst but you know he refuses to quit he's persevering in his faith he and at the end he finishes with a swan song say i have kept my faith that's what god is talking about okay but let us let me as before i finish let me tell you our issue here what is it talking about let us lay aside every weight what is that what is that weight anything that hinders faith is a weight right okay it's a weight when is it talking about letting you have to ask yourself what hinders my faith what hinders my faith you look back there are things in our life which hinders our faith faith is very clear this is what god wants me to do this is what is written this is what i have heard what hinders my faith god says put it away put it away and what is the sin which easily ensnares what is the entire book of hebrews about it's about unbelief that is the sin that very easily ensnares easily ensnares you know what how does it ensnare you know what uh, i have joanna here now is joanna Joanna, come here, honey. Come quickly, the little one. Let everybody see Joanna. We'll show you to the world. Come. Come. Oh, you're looking very cute. Come. Yeah, this is Joanna. Okay. Now imagine Joanna is sitting and doing a homework in front of me. Imagine I am a, I'm a your grandfather. Okay. And she's doing homework, but in the middle of the homework, she's doing naughty things. And then I catch her here and say, and she immediately does. Okay. and then again she is doing something naughty and i say hey, do it and she does it back on the other hand she does something naughty i ignore her and she thinks grandpa didn't see is not bothered he continues doing it next day also she comes to do homework with me and she still continues i don't say anything and you know what happens after some time she will think i can do whatever i want grandpa won't say anything when we sin god doesn't punish us immediately and we go our way and you know what unbelief gets in what is the unbelief god won't do anything thank you honey okay god won't do anything god won't do anything that is how unbelief gets in god won't do anything or the other way good things you pray you fast nothing happens you go on a seven day fast nothing happens you go on a 21 day fast nothing happens you go on the maximum 40 day fast nothing happens you know what nothing happens there's no point in praying what did jesus say when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth will you be a faith life and your prayer life be like that woman who refuses to give up until the hand of god was moved people give up so quickly they give up 40 is maximum beyond that no i did everything that's why they're all saying god has forsaken god says i haven't forsaken him god has forsaken him he says i haven't forsaken anybody so it can be in the bad thing or in the good thing you know what you have hindrances to faith that is of weight and then the unbelief that comes in let me ask you why do let me ask you this simple question why do believers sin because punishment is not immediate why do our children obey us because punishment is immediate if we catch them so what do they do they learn to sin secretly they did not stop sinning they just sin, learned to sin secretly but the problem is 
they can sin secretly without us ever knowing. And we think we can sin secretly without God knowing. Are we getting the picture here over here? And that's what we have to move to the fourth level of persevering faith. You are walking in righteousness. You are fighting for holiness in your own life. Righteousness holy, And you receive no benefits of it in this world at all. Your life is going from trouble to more trouble to more trouble. Like from if you were in uh, one jail and thrown out and you go to the next town, jail thrown out. Now you are incarcerated in the same jail. That is Paul. No freedom, nothing. But he refuses to give up. Refuses to give up. Persisting faith. Or you are prospering, prospering because you obeyed all and God's hand is upon you. But you know what? Like like Noah, sorry, like Job. Prospering, prospering, heads care around you, prospering, prospering. But you know what? Your spiritual life has never changed. It is exactly the way it was. You are still offering sacrifice. You are still pleading the blood. You are still praying. You are as intense now in prosperity as you were in poverty. Do you have that persevering faith? That's what God is talking about. Both sides. You have to look at it. Otherwise, you know what has happened? It has. The simple question is, but how do I have a persevering faith? I will tell you the mistake believers do. One side it is good. We read um, the history of Martin Luther. We read the biography of Wesley. We get all this thing. You know what? I want to be like that. I want to be like that. We read all these people and say, I want to be like that. But that's not the answer. Answer is verse 2. What is that? Unto Jesus. Wesley is not the author of my faith. Christ is. Martin Luther is not the author of my faith. Christ is. Martin Luther cannot keep my faith. Martin Luther cannot perfect my faith. He's a person used by God in time. But none of these people, nobody living or dead, are the author, the perfecter, or the finisher of my faith. Why did Paul finish well? Because he didn't look at Peter. He didn't look at any of the apostles who were before him. He said, I did not meet any of the apostles before me. He said, you know what, from the beginning till the end, I kept my eyes on Jesus because I knew he doesn't go back. He doesn't falter. He doesn't fade. He doesn't fall. If you want to have persevering faith, though we have this cloud of witnesses around us, our eyes are on Christ, looking unto Christ. We are encouraged by this crowd of witnesses. Martin Luther encourages you. John Wesley encourages you. No, Moody encourages you. All these people encourage you. But your eyes are not on them. Your eyes are upon Christ Jesus. That's the key. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That is how we... So we started from there. It all begins with hearing. So we have a hearing problem. Okay, hearing problem. One of the COVID does it does it takes your taste and it takes your hearing also. But the believers have been in the within the church has been afflicted by a spiritual COVID. They have no hearing from God and they do not have a taste for the things of God. Taste for the things of God. Okay. It all begins with hearing. When you hear, the Bible says, even though you are afraid. Because there's the fear. Obey. Obey. They were all fearful men. I said, from the first man, Abraham, father of faith, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua, to Elijah, to Gideon. You look at all these people. Fearful men. 
But they did great acts of faith. But it didn't happen in one day. Because in their fear, they still obeyed. They still obeyed. You may be afraid of the consequences. No proposal is coming for me. Every proposal is from an unbeliever. Will I end up on the shelf? Fear. Will I end up on the shelf? You know what? But fearfully you obey. Lord, I will stay. Still believe you got a plan for me. I'm talking about practical things. Every job you apply, you are rejected because unlike the others, you, you, you refuse to inflate your resume. Your resume is very simple, but it's honest. Lord, everybody is saying, the organization, what you call those, HR company also will say, you know what, we will write your resume for you. You will get a job. And we will say, no, you cannot rewrite it. Because when you rewrite it, you realize half of it is fiction. No, I cannot apply. Cannot apply. Will you stand? Like I said, when I got my jobs in the secular space, my resume was very small. Class 10, this much, class 12, degree, Undergraduation, postgraduation, post-postgraduate, only mark and nothing else. I had never said, if you take me into a company, I have all these resources, I can create great benefit and nothing. Do you know the fact that every time I got a job in the secular realm, they did not interview me. They sent me the appointment letter. There was nothing in my resume for them to call me, except my marks. Nothing. Refuse to inflate. But you are fearful. You want a job. You want, but Lord, if you are for me, you will open this door. You will open. But I am not going to lie my way through for this. You have to look at these practical things over there, what people do, why believers struggle. We struggle. Okay? And that's what God is talking about. Fearful, yet obedient. Fearful, yet Even when you give, your resources. No, I gave, I had only 100 rupees. I gave 75 rupees with great joy. No, with fear. Or I got only 100. You ask my wife. When she first came to India, ask her. She had only 500 rupees. 500 rupees in her hand. That was all she had. And then the pastor who took this of the Lord said, give it to him. And she had nothing left. She gave that 500 rupees. Okay. That day, somebody called from me. I think, I don't know, Pastor Sharon or somebody called from me and said, I've just sent you $500. That's how it began. When I began my ministry, I had only, I had only 1,20,000 rupees. Savings. <laughs> At the end of the year, I had given it all out. He said, give it a lot. How will I survive? He said, you will survive. How? By giving it away. Did you obey? Yes, very full of joy. Not at all. <laughs> Fearfully gave it away. But you obeyed. And then you saw the hand of God working. No? So you fearfully obeyed. Fearfully obeyed. Fearfully obeyed. That's what God is talking about. Fearfully. And then you will have acts of God. Mighty acts of God. And after that, persevere with God in faith. Don't end up like Gideon. It's good to begin like Gideon. Don't end up like Gideon. Finally, they made an effort and all. He also. I don't like the way Gideon entered. People don't preach much about how Gideon ended. They all talk about how Gideon's life. They don't talk about how... Everybody talks about how Samson ended. 
Gideon also ended up did not really well. And his son also did terrible things. He didn't end up well. Okay, so we need to end. That is what you're talking about. Ahimelech, that's what talking about persevering in your faith. You have to persevere. You have to finish better than you began. Better. Come, honey, let's pray.